Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Hi and welcome. It's so great to see all of you. Hope you're doing well. Pastor Joel and Jen are in Arizona this week on a much-needed vacation, but uh, it's a pleasure for me to continue uh, this series today. The title of my message is The Upside of Stress. The Upside of Stress. Our verse today is James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 in the message, and James is the pastor of the Jerusalem church, which is kind of the Christian headquarters uh, at the time where Christianity was birthed and, and born, and he's writing to the believers, he's writing to the Christians in the church. Uh, so he's writing to you and I, just like it was relevant then, it's relevant now. And he says this about pressure. He said, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I don't know uh, about you, but I definitely feel this way. Not many of us get excited when we feel pressure. It's interesting that James says that pressure can come at you from all sides, and that can definitely be a feeling of stress and pressure, and, and none of us want it. None of us run towards it, but James encourages us, and he's saying, don't try and get out of it, but let it work in you. Uh, stay in the oven and cook to what you need to be so you'll be well-developed and not deficient in anything. Come on, let me pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for each and every one that is joining us today. Right now, I just stretch my hand. I speak a blessing on them. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a willing heart to understand. Uh, and as I speak to the outside of people, I pray that you speak to the inside of people, that you lead them, that you guide them uh, as in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as you watch in your living room, where you are, wherever you are, I want to ask you this question. Uh, do you ever get stressed? Chances are you're like, Brandon, I don't just get stressed sometimes. Like I was stressed earlier today or maybe yesterday. Uh, the reality is we all get stressed. I remember one day in particular, it was August 8th, 2010, about 10 years ago. And the reason I remember this date is it's the day I asked uh, a girl out named Angel, who's now my wife. But I remember that specific lunch. And at this time, they're going to throw up the picture on the screen for you to see it. Uh, that's us sitting in our lunch booth at Cheddar's, just babies, baby Angel and baby Brandon. We'd just gotten out of church, and we went to lunch uh, with each other, and her cousin was there too. And I knew that day, at some point in the day, uh, when we were alone, I was going to ask her to be uh, my girlfriend uh, exclusively, <laughs> because that's all I was, was interested in at the, in the, at the time, for obvious reasons. But I remember we had a great lunch. And we were going to our next destination, and we're going back to our cars. And I had one car, and she and her cousin were in a different car. And I'm in the parking lot, and I reach in my pockets, my left pocket specifically, where I keep my keys, and there was nothing there. Uh, my keys weren't there. Now, I'm a pretty nonchalant, pretty calm guy for the most part, but that doesn't mean I don't feel internally uh, some pressure or stress, or my mind doesn't go in a million different directions sometimes. But I remember almost losing my cool. I'm like, where are my keys? So let me preface this. Whenever I feel like really stressed, I always lose my car keys. 
I always lose my car keys. Me and Angel uh, moved houses uh, last November into a different neighborhood. And I remember we had the brilliant idea to move ourselves. Never again. <laughs> we will always pay somebody else to move. But I remember one uh, time uh, that night, it was like 9 p.m., we are trying to get the fridge uh, out the door into the truck, and it wouldn't fit to the door. So we had to try and take our door off. But of course, it was one piece that didn't want to move. And in a moment of frustration, we said, you know what? I'm just going to leave the fridge. We'll just buy a new fridge. Like, it's not worth it. Um, but I remember, long story short, we got the fridge out, but I, I took a break at around 9 or 10 p.m. Uh, it was a, a late move, as you can tell. And I'm going to go get us some food and come back, and I'm trying to find my keys. <laughs> and as I just preface, whenever I get stressed, I lose my keys. And I looked everywhere, um, and I finally looked in the one drawer I thought it wouldn't be in, which is the junk drawer. Do you have one of those junk drawers where there's not really any purpose to it, but you don't want to throw it in the trash yet? You're like, you know what? I don't know exactly where to put this, but let me put that here. And I found my car keys. So back to August 8th, 2010. I can't find my keys. I look in my car, and I see my keys in the ignition. And I check the door, and it's unlocked. And not only were the keys in the ignition, but the car was on. Anybody could have taken my car. But thankfully, no one wanted to steal my luxury 2005 white Dodge Stratus. The reality is, we all deal with pressure and stress. The question I have for you today is, how do you feel about stress? If you had to sum up how you feel about stress, which statement would be more accurate? And I'm going to give you two statements. A, stress is harmful and should be avoided, reduced, and managed. Or B, stress is helpful and should be accepted, utilized, and embraced. Now, I'm guessing most of you probably picked A. You know, 85% of Americans agree that stress has a negative impact on their health, their family, their life, and their work. But what is stress? We tend to lump anything bad that comes at you or gives you pressure or makes you uncomfortable, and we say, well, that was bad, that's stress. But that's too broad. Let's narrow it down and define stress this way. Stress is what arises when something that you care about is at stake. You see, stress and meaning are closely linked. They go hand in hand. You don't stress about things that you don't care about. And you can't create a meaningful life without experiencing some stress. That's why you stress about your kids, your job, your marriage, your body, your purpose. But it's better to chase meaning than try to avoid discomfort. Stress and meaning go hand in hand. Let's look to Jesus' life and how he handled his highest stress moment. Luke chapter 22, verse 39, we're going to read through 46, brings us to his last night on earth before he went to the cross and, and died for our sins to bring us into relationship with him. And it says this, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, which is the upper room where he had the last supper and then where the Holy Spirit uh, filled the disciples but he left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. 
Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. He went to them. He said, why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give into temptation. As most of you know, his disciples did later that night fall into temptation because they fell asleep praying. But I want to go back to that moment when it says that Jesus was in agony of spirit. And a lot of us experienced some physical pain, but Jesus was feeling some internal agony, a, a real conflict going on. And as he sweat blood, this is a medical condition called hematidrosis. And it only incurs in people that are in a highly emotional state. And Jesus was highly emotional. He was experiencing anxiety because of what he was about to go through. And he starts to pray, Father, if you will, let this cup pass from me. But not what I will, but you will. Even Jesus, if we're being honest, would have liked to avoid the stress and anxiety at times of the cross. But there was meaning there. There was meaning at the cross waiting for him. Hebrews 12.2 references this when it says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He kept going because he loves you. And it was the only way to bring us into relationship with him. Stress and meaning go hand in hand. What level of stress do most people feel? What's normal? What do most people go through? There's a study done about 15 years ago uh, from 2005 to 2006, and researchers from the Gallup Report asked more than 125,000 people ages 15 and up from 121, question, 121 countries, one question. Did you feel a great deal of stress yesterday? Worldwide, the average was 33%. The United States came in high at 43%. The Philippines took the top spot at 67% in a country that I had not heard of called Maritania ranked last at just over 5%. Since the country by country percentages vary, the researchers wondered, does a nation's stress index correspond with other indexes of well-being? Like, if you're stressed, does it go with your happiness, your life expectancy, with the national GDP? As you watch this today, consider what your own beliefs would predict about this question. Is having more stressed out people good for public health, national happiness, and the economy? But to the researchers' surprise, the higher a nation's stress index, the higher the nation's well-being. The higher the percentage of people who said they felt a great deal of stress the day before, the higher the nation's life expectancy and GDP. More people reporting stress meant more people satisfied with their health, their work, standard of living, and community. When it came to overall well-being, the happiest people in the world are not the ones without stress. This is the stress paradox. Even though most people view their stress as harmful, higher levels of stress seem to go along with all the things that we want, love, health, and satisfaction with our lives. The best way to understand the stress paradox is to look at the relationship between stress and meaning. Turns out that a meaningful life it's a stressful life. When I look back at my life now and, and later on towards the end of my life, I have a feeling that all I'm going to see and think and talk about are the butterfly moments. What do I mean by that? The moments that gave me butterflies in my stomach. 
Could be playoff games and school sports, performing in theater plays, making decisions about my college years, who to marry and then getting married, writing and releasing a book, speaking to crowds, coming to Oaks. Those are the moments that we remember, not the easy moments of relaxation. We don't always remember the times on the couch watching TV or in the pool or hanging out with friends, but we do remember the moments, the butterfly moments, and we gotta chase the butterflies in our lives. The biggest problem before we move on with trying to avoid stress is how it changes the way we view our lives and ourselves. Anything that causes stress starts to look like a problem. If you experience stress at work, you think there's something wrong with your job. If you experience stress in your marriage, you might think there's something wrong with the relationship. If you experience stress as a parent, you think there's something wrong with your parenting or your kids. If trying to make a change is stressful, you think there's something wrong with your goal. When you think life should be less stressful, feeling stress can also seem like a sign that you are inadequate. That if you were strong enough, smart enough, good enough, then you wouldn't be stressed. Stress becomes a sign of personal failure rather than evidence that you are human. When you're in this mindset, you're more likely to feel overwhelmed and helpless. Choosing to see the connection between stress and meaning can free you from the nagging sense that there's something wrong with your life, that you're inadequate to the challenges you face. When you take this view, life doesn't become less stressful, but it can become more meaningful. It's time to start embracing stress, not avoiding it, let alone medicating it. This whole time so far, we talked about why stress is good for you, that there is an upside. Now, let's talk about how you can become good at handling pressure. I have four things written down. It's not all inclusive, but it's four that can touch base with us today. Number one, operate from who God says you are, not who people have said you are. We care far too much about what people are going to think of us, how many times did our stress come from what people may think or say about us, when in reality, for being honest, people don't think about you or me near as much as we think they do. I read this the other day uh, from someone that I follow on Instagram, and he's pushing about 70 years old, and he wrote this down. We spend our 20s and 30s worried about what people think of us. In our 40s and 50s, we finally start to feel free. In our 60s and 70s, we eventually realize nobody was actually thinking about us. You know, to be honest, it can be far too easy for me to gauge how well this message went based on what you say about it. And in reality, God called me to this, not people. I should be concerned with if he is pleased with it. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul references this and says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So if we're not supposed to really care that much about what people say about us, what does God say about us? What does God say about you? And I looked over a number of verses and I came to this conclusion that this is what God says about you. You are God's child. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All things work together for your good. God is going to finish the work he started in you. You don't have a spirit of fear, but you have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You have been redeemed, forgiven, given purpose. You have hope. You are alive with Christ and seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. You are chosen, blameless, set free, 
You're healed in your spirit, your soul, and your body. You are overcoming. You are not in want. You are protected. You are qualified. You are loved and victorious. That is who you are. Operate from who God says that you are, not who people have said you are. The second thing, run toward stress, not away from it. Now, this is not an easy one. None of these are easy, per se, but it's necessary. There's a man that I look up to. He, his name is Paul Scanlon. He pastored in England for decades, and now he travels the world and speaks and mentors people. Uh, but he said something about a year ago that always stuck with me. And he said, if something excites you, run towards it. But if something excites and scares you, run twice as fast. I don't know about you, but it can be easy to run towards something that's exciting. Uh, but when something is exciting and it's pretty scary, and it's kind of daunting, and you feel some pressure about it, it can be really easy to want to avoid it, to want to go the other way. But he's saying if it scares you and excites you, then run twice as fast. Paul had the same attitude in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, expressed, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I want to focus on that phrase, I press on. In another translation, it says, I follow after. In the original language, it's actually a hunting term. And it's the picture of an outdoorsman who is so determined to hunt down an animal that he will stop at nothing to pursue, track down, and ultimately get his game. You got to press through in life like a hunter, despite stressful conditions. Let us be like Paul and say, I press on. Over and over in Scripture, God calls people into stressful situations. God called Abraham to a new country, Moses back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh, David to attack a giant that was nine feet tall named Goliath. David literally ran to what was stressing out the whole nation. God called Jonah to a city and a people that he despised, called Jesus to the cross and Paul to the Gentiles. I say all of that to say this. God specializes in stressful situations, not comfortable environments. You've got to learn to welcome stress. I want to say this statement, and then I'll explain it. And it's a question I ask myself sometimes. It's a question I've actually asked today. Is this a challenge or a threat? You know, we have more than one stress response in our repertoire. In a situation that requires us to perform under pressure like an athletic competition, a public speech, maybe you're giving a presentation at work or you're in a boardroom meeting or an exam, the ideal stress response is one that gives us energy, helps us focus, and encourages us to act. This response is called the challenge response. It gives us the motivation to approach the challenge head on. It's the threat, or excuse me, it's the stress response that you want. There is another response though. Sometimes when a person has a fight or a flight response, which you've probably heard of, under the pressure to perform, psychologists call this a threat response. A threat response isn't an overreaction of the stress response system. It's an entirely different kind of stress response, one that primes you more for self-defense than success. Now, there's some important uh, psychological differences between the two responses that can affect your immediate performance and the long-term consequences of stress. One of the biggest differences has to do with how stress affects your heart. Both a threat response and a challenge response prepare you for action. 
something that you can feel when your heart starts pounding faster, your palms get sweaty. But during a threat response, the body is anticipating physical harm. So to minimize the blood loss that might follow a nasty fight, your blood vessels constrict. The body also ramps up inflammation and mobilizes immune cells to prepare you to heal quickly. In contrast, during a challenge response, your body responds more like it does during physical exercise. Imagine back to the last time you worked out. Because you aren't anticipating harm, your body feels safe maximizing blood flow to give you the most possible energy. Unlike in a threat response, your blood vessels stay relaxed. Your heart also has a stronger beat, not just faster, but with greater force. And each time your heart contracts, it pumps out more blood. So a challenge response gives you more energy than a threat response. These cardiovascular changes have implications for the long-term health consequences of stress. The tendency to have a challenge response rather than a threat response is associated with superior aging, cardio health, and brain health. To give you an example, this is what I do, and I would highly encourage you to do the same, same thing. When I'm feeling stress, when I'm feeling pressured or overwhelmed or maybe my breathing quickens, I literally say out loud, I remind myself, the Holy Spirit is with me, still with me. And two, this is a challenge. It's not a threat. Even though I'm nervous about it, even though maybe I've been dreading this, whatever it is that you might be dreading, it's a challenge. It's not a threat. And immediately, this new mindset for me, and I trust it will for you, tips the balance from I can't handle this to I've got this. From I wish I didn't have to do this to I can do this. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, Solomon writes this book, and in this passage, he talks about the seasons in life, and specifically, he mentions 28 seasons mentioned. There's a time to be born, a time to die. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones. There's a time for peace and a time for war. But of all these seasons, there's one season that you won't find. It's a time to quit. It's never the right time to quit. Everything that you're believing for is on the other side of not giving up. So don't give up. Engage your stress. Run towards stress, not away from it. The third thing out of these four keys is this. Don't retreat in isolation, but align with your people. When God created Adam, the first thing that was not good wasn't sin. It was being alone. God said he needed more than just me. You know, there's a word, some worship songs, and one of my favorite worship songs is a song called All I Need Is You. And God's saying, I'm not all you need. I'm a lot of what you need, but it's not good for you to be alone. So he made other humans. We need community. We need a friendship. He looked at Adam and said, you need a partner and people around you. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 12 says that two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This can be really easy for me as an introvert by nature to retreat in isolation and not always involve everybody else in my life. But I combat this tendency by aligning myself with my wife, Angel, being transparent, being open, letting her know the things that I'm going through, whether good or bad, the emotions that I feel. I can get advice from our, in prayer from our senior pastor, Pastor Joel. I can go to my parents. 
I can go to different friends in my life. I can go to Pastor Stephen, who hosted uh, this service today. Friends like Simon and Deborah Koloth, and there's people all around that I could ask, people in my inner circle. But I say all of that to say that you are surrounded here at Oaks Church by people who love you and support you, people who will pray for you and be accountable with you. But it all starts with connecting by joining a small group or to find a place to serve. The most connected people that I know are those that serve together. So attend our class align and go from there. It's the perfect on-ramp for the connection here at Oaks Church. We have a virtual one via Zoom that happens once a month, and we have an in-person one that happens on the third Sunday of the month. If you'd like to find more details, you go to oakschurch.com slash align. Just don't go through life alone. Get connected. Scientifically, this leads us to the third stress response, which is the tend and befriend response. You know, when you're stressed, you can cultivate this mindset by focusing on bigger-than-self goals, supporting others, and even choosing to see stress and suffering as part of a common human experience. God created you this way with these different types of responses for you to choose from. We have this response first and foremost to make sure that we protect our kids. Long story short, a tend-to-befriend response makes you social, brave, and smart. And this is the important part. Anytime that you choose to help others, you activate the state. Caring for others flips the brain switch from fear to hope. And the way to find hope is to connect, not to escape. So if you struggle with avoidance, self-doubt, or feeling overwhelmed, helping others is one of the most powerful motivation boosters that you can find. When you're feeling overwhelmed, look for a way to do something for someone else that goes beyond your daily responsibilities. Let me say it like this. Be the source and you'll get support. People who want to feel more connected, supported, and care about often believe they need to wait for someone else to come and offer those things first. One of the most helpful mindset shifts you can make is to view yourself as the source of whatever support that you want to experience. Research shows that when you intentionally shift your focus towards supporting others, you end up the recipient of more support. When you make an effort to express your gratitude, you end up being more appreciated by others. When you go out of your way to make sure that others know that they belong, you become an important and cherished member of the community. So don't retreat in isolation, but align with your people. As we conclude, here's the fourth point. Grow your capacity. There's a Navy SEAL maxim that says that when you feel burnt out and you feel like you can't go any further, when you're on a run or anything in life, and you feel like quitting, that you've actually only reached 40% of your capacity. That you have 60% left to go. You know, you are capable of far more than you know. And the only limit in life is your mindset. We like to see, say here at Oaks that there are no lids. We dream big, we pray big, and we do our best to remove the limits from what God wants us to do. What can God do through you? And I think you'll find that he doesn't have near as many lids or limits that we do. And you can do far more than you could ever dream, pray, or imagine. If you continually embrace this pressure, you will increase your capacity for it. The things that made you cringe in the past will energize you in the future. See, there's things that I can handle now that I didn't used to have the capacity for. Whether it be speaking, leading, writing, marriage. Uh, I can remember the very first time that I spoke. I was 17 years old. I was at a summer camp retreat. 
And I remember that morning and going from the uh, cabin where I was staying to the uh, room that I was about to speak at to a lot of the high schoolers I went to school with. And I was so nervous. I was shaking. I was sweating. I was praying really loud on my way there. Um, but it all went fine once I started. And today, I still get nervous. still feel the pressure. But it's nothing like it used to be. And I've grown into the capacity for it. If you're married, you can probably think back to your first few years of marriage and however long you've been married now, you've seen that you've grown into the largeness of marriage. So your prayer shouldn't be when you feel stress and pressure, Lord, take this from my plate. But instead, Lord, increase my capacity. Help me grow into what you have for me. The fact is, pressure isn't found in the shade. I want to hear that someone can't handle pressure. Everyone can handle pressure. You can handle pressure. Most people choose not to because it's easier to stay safe in the comfort zone. But if you want to be successful, to have that place in the sun, to do what God's called you to do, then you have to leave the shade. It's not easy to leave the shade. It's cool and comfortable compared to the hot discomfort of the sun. And you can't be relentless if you can't take discomfort. You can't be unstoppable if you only deal with pressure when you have no choice. Pressure can bust pipes, but it can also make diamonds. If you stand in the pressure, you can be a diamond. The positive view is that pressure is a challenge that will define you. It gives you the opportunity to see how much you can take, how hard you can go. Everyone wants to cut back on stress because stress kills, but that's not true. Stress is what brings you to life. Let it motivate you and work harder. Use it. Don't run from it. When it makes you uncomfortable, so what? The payoff is worth it. Work through the discomfort. You'll survive, and then you'll go back for more. You can be great at handling pressure. Use this mindset shift and these four tools to start embracing stress. Let it fuel you to live the way God designed you to. God didn't design you to think small or play it safe. The fact is there are no limits with you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have no lids. We can't be stopped. We thrive. The church thrives. Individually, we thrive in pressure. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for each and every person watching. Lord, help us to grow into the capacity that you have for us. Help us to awaken. Uh, give us life to see what you called us to do, what you called us to be. Help us do well under pressure. And embrace it, not run from it. God, you didn't call us to retreat back, but you said that the righteous, that us, we are as bold as a lion and we can do whatever you called us to do. We don't have to just retreat in stress, but we can embrace it. And Lord, I just pray that you give your people peace right now. And we cast all of our unnecessary cares to you. But Lord, we choose to embrace the stress, the pressure in our life and make the most of it. All for you, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.